You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. You are the God of the universe, God Almighty, the King of all kings, the one whom no power can ever come up against. God, we thank you for your sovereign control over all things, for your authoritative power over every power, even over our own lives. Thank you, God, that you've called us to be your children, called us to be your family, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. This morning, God, we call out to you being the almighty Father. God, would you in your uh, protect, protect us now with, with all of your strength, Lord. We know that as we gather here, the enemy wants nothing more than to get into our minds and to discourage us and take our minds off the things of God, to, to plant other things into our, our hearts. So, God, would you protect this place right now from the enemy? Would you allow us, Lord, to hear your word and to respond to your word? Would your word hit every single heart here, Lord, and draw us closer to yourself? Father, I pray that every heart in this place now and by the end of the service be bowing to you, the one true God, the living God of the universe. God, right now, would you help us understand your word in a way that's going to apply to our hearts? God, we can't do this in our own strength. I can't preach this, God. We can't understand this without your Holy Spirit coming and helping us. So all-powerful, God, help us now. See the truth. Let the truth set us free into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. We love you and are thankful to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I encourage you to uh, grab a seat and turn through your Bibles to uh, to Acts chapter 19 is where we are. If you don't have a Bible, one of the ushers will be more than happy to uh, come down the aisle and get one into your hands. Uh, Acts chapter 19, just one chapter today. You're all like, thank you. Uh, the title for today is simply this, Jesus over all. As we get into Acts chapter 19, I just want to remind you where we are in the book of Acts. Uh, This is the start of Paul's third and final tour of duty called his missionary journeys. Actually, the missionary journey started uh, last week. I didn't mention it, but Acts chapter 18, 23 is where the missionary journey started. And so uh, we have seen the gospel just explode from that first time the Holy Spirit fell in Jerusalem. The gospel is exploding and and missionaries are through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, impacting people across the country for Jesus Christ. And just to help recap, where we've been. I put a little map up here uh, so you know where we are. Sometimes I think we hit these places. You're like, I don't know what's going on or where things are at. So here's the missionary journeys we've been following and uh, the different uh, colors there to help you understand. We've covered a lot of ground and you even see it on the map behind you. All the flames are showing where the Holy Spirit is taking the message of Jesus Christ. Really what's happening through the book of Acts is there's been a, a revival in the area as God's people walk in passionate obedience on mission for him. And as we get into Acts chapter 19, if Paul had a theme for his life in this first leg of his missionary journey, I believe it would simply be this, three words you got to leave here with, Jesus over all. You know, sometimes we package our sermon series with graphics and everything. Well, well, Paul would be packaging all his sermon series with Jesus over all. It would be on banners and giving out little bracelets, Jesus over all, and bumper stickers on the back of the chariots, Jesus over all. This was Paul's war cry, his battle cry, what his life was defined by. And this is what our lives also ought to be hinging on. And the message on our lips, simply Jesus overall. We're just going to get right into it because there's a lot to cover today. So here's the first thing I want you to write down in your notes. Number one, Jesus overall. Jesus Christ is the only one that saves. 
Jesus Christ is the only one that saves. Jesus overall, only Jesus can save us. Amen? This is the first section of the text that was pointing out to us. So what's happening is back in 18, chapter 18, verse 21, the people at Ephesus said to Paul, Hey, Paul, can you stay here a while? Can you teach us these things? And he declined. Respectfully, he declined. He said, You know what? I'm going to go, but if God wills, I will come back and meet with you again. So obviously God willed it because here he is making true to his promise to the people in, in Ephesus. And so while he's here, look what happens in verse verse uh, 2. There he, Verse 1, there he found some disciples in Ephesus. Automatically, we think these must be disciples of Jesus Christ because we think disciples, these are born-again believers. But we have to understand the word in the New Testament. Disciples means learner. And so in the New Testament, Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Jesus even had some disciples that when his message got too hard, where did they go? See ya, they scrammed. They weren't fully uh, born-again followers of Jesus Christ. And so these disciples probably are disciples of John. You're going to understand that as we read. Let me read it for you, and then I'll explain it just so you get a picture of what's going on. Then I'll explain it for you. So he came across these disciples, probably disciples of John. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And we know the Holy Spirit comes when we believed, when we believe, right? And they said, no. We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. We don't know, No, there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said to this, he says, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. After this happened, he continues, Paul, to go into the synagogues and for three months speak boldly, reasoning and persuading with them about the kingdom of God. But of course, as the pattern, some become stubborn and continue to unbelief and stir up some things about the way or the followers of Jesus. So Paul then withdrew and took some of the, withdrew and took some disciples with him. And he continued going around Asia, it says here in verse 10, for two years until every person in Asia heard the word of the Lord. So every person in Asia knew that there was one way to salvation, and it was Jesus Christ. And so what's happening here is Paul runs into these guys who are probably like Apollos. Remember Apollos? He was preaching, and he had right intentions, good heart, well-meaning, but he didn't understand the whole Pentecost thing and the whole idea that, that, that of the Holy Spirit and all that Jesus was bringing. And so these guys are guys that are 25 years after John had died. They're probably still calling themselves disciples of John. So they'd ask for forgiveness, they got baptized, but somehow in it all they missed that Jesus Christ was the true Messiah that John was pointing to. Pointing to. Remember John's message? Hey, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's going to be one coming that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and that's Jesus. Hey, I'm just preparing the way here, John was saying in his, in his, his ministry, I'm preparing the way for one to, who's to come, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Somehow they missed it. So they didn't hear about the Holy Spirit. They didn't really make the connection that this was Jesus. And so what does Paul do? Paul asks them the question that every church-going person should ask themselves at some point in their lives, which is this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Every church-going person should ask themselves, because, because they should ask themselves this. 
Has my life been invaded with the power of the Holy Spirit? Has my faith changed me on the inside? Because this is a distinguishing feature of a believer. It's not what theology we know or even what traditions we've done or what pastor we follow, what it is. Distinguishing mark of believers is the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives. These guys, you read it, they're like, no. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Tell me more. Paul's like, gladly. So what does he do? He preaches the full gospel to them, the full reality of, of what John was trying to tell them. Here's what he's basically saying. I think you miss Jesus. You miss being a disciple of Jesus. doesn't matter what, who you're following. You miss being a disciple of Jesus. You miss salvation no matter what you've done in the past or your right intentions. You miss Jesus. You miss salvation. You miss, you miss the, the, the baptism as a believer. You totally miss the power of what it is. An outward action showing the true inner reality of a new life in Jesus Christ. And so you just let me explain this again because I know it's a little confusing. Just, here's how Warren Wearsby summarizes this whole section. I think it makes it so clear for us. And I'd rather use somebody else's words and make it clear than my words and maybe have it a little bit fuzzy. So here's, here's, here's what's happening. Paul's explaining to them that John's baptism was a baptism of, of repentance that looked forward to the coming of the promised Messiah. Well, Christian baptism is a baptism that looks backwards at the finished work of Christ on the cross and his victorious resurrection. So John's baptism was on the other side of Calvary and Pentecost, and it was correct for its day, but now that day had ended, and Jesus is the only one who can truly save. Amen? Before we move on to the next portion of the text here, I just want to stop and just just help us drive this deep into our hearts, and you, you can't miss this. This is really the application of this. Here's what, here's what God wants us to know today. Jesus is over all of our religious rituals and rites. Jesus overall. Jesus is over all of our religious rituals and rites. These guys were hanging on to something that came before Jesus. Missing that Jesus is the one that brings everything into completion. And you and I, we can't miss the whole point of personally accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Something these guys were missing. And we also can't let family and friends miss this reality too. We think as long as we're doing a good thing, we're half-seeking Jesus, it must be right, all right? And we're doing some good religious things, and well, my friends, well, maybe they don't get the full scope of Jesus, but they get a little, but isn't that good enough? It's not. We need to preach to ourselves and to others the full reality of the gospel message, which is that I am a sinner, and I don't just need to turn from my sins, what repentance means. I need a Savior to come and forgive me of my sins. John can't do that, only Jesus can and to cleanse me from my sins and take my old heart of flesh, give me a, a new, an old heart of stone, give me a new heart of flesh, give me a heart that loves Jesus and longs for Jesus and beats for righteousness. A heart that gives me a new lease on life and a spiritual union with God and only Jesus Christ can bring us that. Only Jesus Christ can open up our hearts to the power of the Holy Spirit to come and indwell us. So many Christians, I think, get caught up in some of the pastors they follow. Well, he follows, so I must be, I must be okay. And, and some of the religious things that they do, just like these guys were. But it comes down to this. And let me ask you this, because I don't assume everybody in here understands this fully. Let me ask you this. And when it comes to your own personal salvation, first and foremost, have you come to the place where you've professed faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, accepting the fact that I am a sinner? Can all attest to that? 
I believe that Jesus is the only way and the only one, so I confess my sins, not to anyone else, to him. And I determine now to live my life and surrender to God as the Holy Spirit lives within me. Have you done that this morning? You haven't come to that place where you've fallen on your face before God and professed your, your, your sin before Jesus and the Holy Spirit hasn't dwelled you. You, you, you might be on the other side still looking in. Waiting, and God wants you now to like come to Jesus. Acts 4.12 says there's salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus over all of our religious rituals and rites. So important. Your salvation rests on it. So important. Don't just mince over this and keep going. So important today. Second thing I think we can get from this is is this. There's only one baptism in the scriptures, and that is a baptism that is after conversion and an active response to Jesus Christ. Talk about this with many people, and they always look, the, the, the verse that comes up is Ephesians 4, 4. And, and yet there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. And, and, and yet I was baptized maybe not on my own volition, but my parents baptized me. Or, or I was baptized because my mom and dad told me to when I was a young age. Or the whole youth group was doing it. And I wasn't really, I didn't really want to know God, but peer pressure. Man, I didn't want to be left out. What would people think? So I jumped in the tank too, but I know in my heart I wasn't really saved. Or we're going to this church and the pastor was so convincing and so compelling and he told me I had to get baptized. Even though I really didn't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so when we preach baptism, we're like, well, I can't be baptized again because there's one baptism, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. To be baptized again is unbiblical. I just want to clarify for you that there is one baptism and it's the baptism as a believer unto Jesus Christ after you've been changed from the inside out. If you haven't been baptized into... Jesus Christ, that baptism, then it's not a rebaptism, it's to get baptized according to the way the Bible says to get baptized. Believe and be baptized. So I want people to miss this because I think people miss so much of the blessing of God because the first step after salvation is into the baptism tank. I'm saved and I'm baptized. Acts pattern, saved and baptized, saved and baptized. And I want to tell the world now that Jesus Christ is my Lord, that I have truly died. My inner, my old man has died going down. The blood of Jesus has washed over me. I'm being raised to a brand new life in Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you and exhort you. If you have not been baptized in Christ in a proper way, then, then this June is a great time for you to be baptized. Don't put it off any longer. Now is the time to be baptized. Saving faith and baptism go hand in hand and after this happened, they speak in tongues. You read it. The further credence that this was actually a truly an active part of church fellowship. Remember how God confirmed the Gentiles? How did God confirm the Gentiles? With, with speaking in tongues. Now, and now how is God confirming the disciples of John through a speaking in tongues? This is a transition book. And every time God wants to make it clear, He wants to make it clear that this is not a different movement. It's not something brand new. This is the same thing. And He confirms it, uh, through solidifying the church as one through the speaking of tongues. It's the last time we're going to see this in the book of Acts. From now on, after this, every heart is filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation. The rest of the New Testament tells us very clearly that. So they have this little moment. They speak in tongues, 12 of them. And what does Paul do? Okay, I'm done. Mission accomplished. No way. He keeps going, right? We learned this last week. The the courage and the tenacity of the disciples to to keep uh, preaching. And so Paul keeps going. I love what happens here. He goes in, he continues to boldly wage war for the kingdom of God. He's, he's preaching the full gospel, 
Religious people, unreligious people, they think they get it. I'm just going to make sure, I'm going to preach the full gospel, to tell you the whole story again, to make sure you get it. He continues boldly waging war for the kingdom of God. Look what, look what he's doing. He's, he's reasoning and he's preaching and he's persuading. He's, he's exposing wrong ideas and busting through proud philosophies and overriding human ideologies with the truth of Jesus. And he does this until every person in Asia hears. See that? Two years. I'm not stopping. I don't care who's in front of me. I don't care who, a disciple of whoever you are, you're going to hear the gospel again to make sure you don't miss out on the full reality of salvation. This is a life or death for you. It's a heaven or hell. And I'm not going to stop until every stone is turned over in the whole province of Asia. I find that a little bit inspiring, don't you? Preach the gospel until every stone in Niagara region is turned over for the glory of God. I'm going to make sure that... that Maybe people aren't going to accept, but they're, as far as we're, as far as we're concerned as a church, we're, they don't accept that's up to them, but, but we're going to make sure they at least have the opportunity. We're going to preach it. I know you get it a little bit, but let me tell you the whole story. I know you're seeking. Let me, let me show you. Jesus overall. That's the message that Paul is preaching, the message of salvation. That's the message we are to be contenders for and not pretenders of. We're to be contenders for the faith and not pretenders of the faith. What's the difference? Contenders get this and believe this and realize this. And and whatever it takes, however long it takes, we're going to do it. Contenders have their mouths open sharing Jesus Christ. Believing that there is one way to salvation, that's through Jesus Christ. Pretenders... Maybe believe it a little bit, maybe get by into the hype, but when, they, when they're out in the rest of the world, they keep their mouths closed and they pretend that they don't even know Jesus. We're called to be contenders of the faith, not pretenders of the faith. Difference how we live beyond these walls. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is the one way to salvation, man, we can't keep our mouths shut. We can't contain it. This is true and this is real. Here's number two I want you to write down in your notes. Jesus is the one ultimate power. Jesus is the one ultimate power. As the believers, get this, go to war for the gospel, guess what God does? He shows up in an incredible way. I want to tell you this, God doesn't show his full power to those who do nothing for God's kingdom. But for those that God... How God helps see the glory of Jesus, the full reality. Those who, those who buy in and go after it, God's power shows up in extraordinary ways. He astounds those that embrace his plan for their lives. And here's what's happening in, in this, in Paul's life. Verse 11, God was doing, what's that word? Extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Let me summarize this for you. You won't read every word. Let me summarize this for you. So, so, so Paul is preaching. Lives are being saved. And, and people realize there's so much power to this man that they're actually, they're, they're sick and loved ones. They're actually bringing uh, handkerchiefs, it says here, and aprons, headbands that would be used to hold the sweat back, and, and aprons, the, the towels that maybe would, they'd use to care for people. They'd be bringing them to Paul. They'd be just... Touching him with the towels, they take him back to their loved ones and touch the, them with the same cloth that Paul touched, and guess what? They'd be healed. That's pretty phenomenal. Paul didn't have to be there. That's how much God was upon this man and doing things. It wasn't about Paul, it was about Jesus. And the miracles weren't an end in of themselves, they were just a great opportunity to share the message of the gospel, the true meaning of salvation. 
And so being carried away, and not just diseases were leaving people, evil spirits were leaving them as well. So, so demon-possessed people are, the demons are running away. Just we finished saying the demons run and flee. The demons are running away. This is, this is super significant because God is demonstrating his power. You have to understand Ephesus. God is demonstrating his power right in Satan's territory. If there was a city that Satan would say, this is mine, Ephesus would have been it. It was a center for a cult, for a cult, for a cult activity, a center for magic. Not like the Las Vegas kind of illusion magic, like the, the, the demons and spells and everything. And, and so this is the culture which is happening. And we get that through the, the sons of Sceva. See, it says the sons of Sceva. It's not like a horror movie. The sons of Sceva. It does become a horror movie, though. Let me read it for you, then I'll explain it. Because all this is going on, there are some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists who undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over all those who had evil spirits. Saying this, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So they're, they're trying to capitalize on Paul's power and trying to incorporate that into their own lives. And such an occult practice Ephesus was that there was seven sons of, of a, a Jewish priest. Maybe it's, you don't, don't assume that these guys, just because they're sons of a Jewish priest, were following the Jewish customs and the, the priestly customs. These are probably, think of it like this. Pastor's kids that are like so far away from God, everybody knows it. That's probably what's happening here. But, but, but these guys were exorcists. And in this day, Jewish exorcists were kind of held in high esteem for their prowess and all their kind of these spiritual gurus, right? And, and they have all these Hebrew incantations and they're casting these, these spells and they're, and they're telling people that they can cure them and give blessings. Give me a little bit of coin and I'm so spiritual. I'll invoke God and he will bless you and cure you. And so that's what, was, that's what these guys were about. It wasn't about God at all. It was about doing their own thing. And so these guys start thinking this. Like, hey, man, that's way more powerful than anything I have. Maybe if I get on that and, and kind of use that, maybe this can help my business. Maybe it can hold me in higher esteem. Sort of like Simon the Sorcerer with Peter, remember? Show me the power. I want to make some money. Show me the power. And so these guys try, hey, in the name of Jesus that Paul proclaims, Think that's going to work? It's sort of like Jesus is some sort of magical charm? We kind of treat him like that sometimes, don't we? But it's attached Jesus' name, and God has to do whatever I want. I'm... That's not how it works. So these seven sons, they go to these evil spirits. You know what the evil spirits say? Look at this. Jesus I know. Paul I recognize. But who the heck are you? Oh, say in the name of Jesus, like, we get who that is, not knowing as in, like, personal relationship, like, knowing as in, like, James chapter 2. The demons believe in Jesus. They believe he exists. They know he's real. What do they do? They shudder. Oh, Jesus, we know. He makes me cower in the corner. He makes me, like, run away like a little schoolgirl. We get him. Paul? Yeah, there's something to that guy too. Clearly Jesus is in him and working through him because, man, what, what he seems to touch turns to, turns to miracles that only Jesus can do. So we get Paul, but you? Uh, never heard of you before. Demons, the man on whom was the evil spirit, leapt on them. 
So the demons get all riled up. They think, oh, you think you're so tough because you're going to mention Jesus? This one guy goes and gives these seven guys a good old-fashioned butt whooping is what happens. Leaving them running from the house, wounded and naked, as the text says. That's pretty embarrassing. But in Jewish culture, that's like embarrassing times 10. It's so modest and everything's so proper. and so They go running out of that place, absolutely humiliated. Verse 17. This has become known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Can you imagine if that happened here? Like, gossip travels fast, right? Word of mouth. Like, can you imagine, like, remember those seven guys who thought they were all bad? Like, they were out of this guy's house naked, beaten up by one guy. Everybody hears it has a positive effect. I can imagine if you're, imagine if you're Satan, you want this to work, right? Because then you'll fool everybody and th- thinking that these Jewish priests are on God's side. God doesn't let that happen. In fact, look what God does. Became known to all the residents and fear, a little bit of human fear, I'm sure, but a little bit of holy fear and reverence of God for sure as well fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Exalted times a hundred, extolled. Like, like barely, Jesus. Also, many of those who are now believers realized the significance of what's going on, they came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So there's, there's even believers in this time that were, I can have Jesus, but have all the occultic stuff going on as well. And they realized that, man, if, if this one demon is powerful enough to beat up these seven guys, and yet when Jesus speaks, he can't even stand in his presence. How powerful is God? Like, we got to start taking God seriously in what he says to heart. So what do they do? They have a big bonfire. And they brought all their books and all their magic arts, the things that they thought, oh, I can have Jesus and this stuff too. It's not a big deal. And they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it come to 50,000 pieces of silver. In that day, one day's wage, one piece of silver. 50,000 days wage right here. 150 men's yearly wages going up in flames. Today's Today's numbers, $50,000 being an average salary, say seven and a half million bucks going up in flames. That's terrible. It's not terrible. It's the right thing to do. What's terrible is having all these occultic things in the homes of people who are devoted to Jesus Christ. The people are like, if this is God and he is so powerful and he's so real, I want nothing but God in my house. I want nothing but God in my life. I want nothing but God in my heart. Let's get, every, get rid of everything else. And the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Again, I just want to give you the info. I want to apply it to our hearts. Now you understand the story. Here's how it applies to us today. Jesus is infinitely stronger than satanic power. Jesus is infinitely stronger than satanic power. Even more so than like maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to arm wrestle my little son, my little two-year-old. Times a hundred. You have to understand that Jesus is infinitely stronger and the demons are subject to Jesus and only Jesus on whom he is decides or on whom are his. I think sometimes, here's why I tell you this, because I think sometimes we walk through life minimizing the power of the name of Jesus. 
I think sometimes we, we forget how awesome our Savior really is and how, how high and exalted, how extolled he should really be. We, we forget that Jesus is high above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, as Ephesians 1.21 tells us. I think in our culture, we fail to have the proper reverence and respect for God that God doesn't just deserve, but he demands. And we're so casual when it comes to God. We're so casual when it comes to his decrees. And when God says something, I guess if I agree with it, I'll do it. Or, or, or if it's in line with what I think. And yet, yet when it comes to God, here's where we all ought to be. We all ought to be on our faces extolling God. And when God speaks, we ought to move and listen. I said it to you many times before. We know God is intimately close, but, but God's, God's not our little buddy next door. God is the God of the universe. That what the church needs, what my heart needs, what your heart needs, more than anything else right now, is, is not another pep talk. It needs a, a holy reverence and a holy respect and a holy fear of God again. And even realizing this, that as we revere and respect and worship God, that I think some of us walk through life fearing the enemy. We fear the enemy. We fear the enemy. The enemy should be fearing us. Because Jesus is in us. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And Jesus is infinitely stronger than any satanic power. And so we don't walk around fearing the enemy. What do we walk around doing? Worshiping Jesus. Trust that his power is strong enough in our lives. Even this morning when you walked in here, do you have a holy respect and holy reverence for God? C.S. Lewis and the Aslan the Lion. Can I touch him? Oh, you can touch him. Is he good? Of course he's good, but he's also king of the jungle. He can rip you apart in a second. Don't forget that about your God. He's close and he's good, but he's also God. Here's the second thing I think we can learn. Jesus' followers and the occult are incompatible. Jesus' followers and the occult are incompatible. It's like mixing oil and water. It just can't happen. I'm amazed at how many people who are believers and in the church and call themselves Christians also meddle with all the occultic things of the world. And somehow think it's okay. When clearly in scriptures it's, it's, it's not. Your, your home and your heart are God's and God's alone. And, and how many times have I run into to even believers? Like, we have to get this straight. I'm just going to say it straight. Who, who think that it's okay to be involved in witchcraft and Ouija boards and magic. And I'm not talking about those little magic kits in the store for your kids. Let's not go hyper on this, right? I'm talking about the magic spells and some of those things that are with demonic Sorcery and wizardry and horoscopes. Read my horoscope today and I, really? Fortune telling and mediums and spirit guides and interpreting dreams and, and, but everybody does it. It's not that, it's not that, is it really that big of a deal? It is a big deal. Where do these things come from? Demonic activity. Do you, do you want to allow that into your home and into your kids' lives and, and into your life? Absolutely not. 
If we just wise up and be discerning to what are the things that, that we're allowing because culture says it's okay. Culture says a lot of things are okay. Everybody does it. Who cares? Clearly followers of Jesus don't. I want to tell you this, brothers and sisters, you don't need another power source than the one you already have. You don't need extra guidance other than one you've already been given in the word of God. You, you, don't, you don't need a superficial, act, supernatural activity in your life. You have all you can handle in the reality of God and the power of his Holy Spirit through the word of God. If any of these things are part of your life, I'm just going to say, you got, you, got to, you got to put it out. You got to stop messing with this stuff. Youth, I know you guys are, I know you guys are prone to this because my son comes home from grade seven and tells me they play with Ouija boards in the schoolyard. You know what I told him? Go to the other side of the schoolyard. Kids, you're here, and, and I know you think, well, everyone's doing it at school. It's just a fun game. and ooh, uh, It's not a fun game. You're messing with stuff that you have no idea what you're messing with. Just, just, just don't. If, if you have some of those little games on your iPads and stuff that you think are just, just get rid of them all. You're messing with stuff you can't handle. Uh, any of us kind of prone to some of these things? I... Here's the word of the day, like, do what you got to do to get rid of it. Burn it. I don't, we don't, who cares how much money you lose? Who cares? Oh. Passed out, regenerate, who cares? Get rid of it. It says in, it says in Revelation 21, verse 8, that sorcerers, and which is all this stuff, this occultic stuff, sorcerers, uh, you, know, you, know, you know what's happening to those people? The lake of fire. Our faith and practice is rooted in Jesus Christ and His Word, and there's no wriggle room. And God doesn't share, God doesn't share His, His people with the enemy. So whatever you gotta do today, denounce it, renounce it, burn it, turn from it. Whatever you gotta do, turn to Jesus today. It's a powerful moment of God showing us that Jesus is over all. Jesus is over everything. Jesus is over the occultic activity of the day as well. And so this causes no small disturbance in, in, in Ephesus. If you see it right in the text, it says this in verse 23, all this burning stuff, all these, all these magic stuff being burned. This is causing no little disturbance. And that's the Bible way of saying it caused a riot in the city of Ephesus. No small disturbance in my house if someone spills some milk. No small disturbance in God's eyes is a riot in Ephesus. People getting all fired up about this because don't forget, this is the center of occultic activity in that day. And this is like, this is not just like, this is speaking right into the very culture and disturbing the very being of the people of Ephesus. Ephesus in this day was well known for the impressive temple of Artemis at that time. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's where the goddess, the statue of the goddess Artemis was kept and where people would come and they'd bow and worship her. And this, this, this statue, the goddess Artemis, also called uh, Diana, was a, the centerpiece of the temple. And people come from all over and once a year they come for religious festivals and, and worship at Artemis' feet. And, and on her uh, statue um, was mysterious engravings on, the, on her crown and on her girdle and on her feet. And uh, these are referred to the Ephesian scripts and these little magical gibber things were considered to have great power. So the whole culture revolved around goddess Artemis, who is Mother Earth, kind of the deity of emphasizing fertility and reproduction. 
And so all of the, all of Ephesus revolved around this temple, sort of like Hershey revolves, revolves around the Hershey factory. Like everything was to do with this, and people made a lot of money off of this. So it was coming to worship Artemis, the one-year pilgrimages. So people would have these little trinkets and little idols, and they'd make them. And their whole business was selling these little trinkets to people and idols that they could take home and put on their shelf and worship at home, or they could take it in the temple and put it at the feet of this great big thing. And so Demetrius, again, I'm going to paraphrase for you. It's just to say reading every verse. Demetrius was one of the silversmiths that was making a lot of coin off of making little idols. He sees all that's going on, and he's getting a little bit like, uh-oh, this is getting too close to my pocketbook, right? And this is going to wreck my whole being. And so he stirs up the other silversmiths, and he might have been the head of the silversmith guild, the head of the union, and he stirs them all up and, and starts saying, hey, look, this guy Paul, he's coming in and get this. He wasn't preaching against the idols. What was he doing? He was preaching Jesus Christ as the only God. Paul comes in preaching, same message he preached in Athens probably. Hey, hey. God is not made with human hands. God is not housed in human temples. God is not stone or gold or silver. God has not come from the imagination of somebody from art. God is the living God that created the universe. He's re-preach of the sermon in Athens. As he's preaching, they're getting more fired up. So they gather all their buddies. And they start this. The whole city goes into confusion. Someone starts chanting. What do we do? Someone starts chanting. Great is Artemis of Ephesus. Great is Artemis of Ephesus. Next thing you know, everybody's chanting. They're all, they don't know what they're chanting. They're just chanting. The whole mob mentality, you know, there's a, there's a mob going. It takes over the theater. Not the Cineplex Odeon like this. It's taking over like a BMO field, like 25,000 people. This is a, it's not just a little mob. This is a big mob. And everybody's chanting something. They don't know why they're chanting or where they're going, but everyone's going, so I'm going too. They drag out a few of Paul's buddies in the middle of this. Can you imagine me in the middle of 25,000 people chanting angry things about Artemis? Like you're like, huh? It's going to be an old-fashioned riot until Alexander, one of the city officials, steps up and he's like, guys, 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 what's going on? What's going on? If Artemis is true, we don't have to worry about this Jesus stuff and we believe she came from heaven, right? She's, she's, a, she's a goddess and so let's calm down. She's not going to be dispelled. She's not going to topple her over. Let's calm down. Let's not riot. Let's go home. We're going to be charged with creating a, a commotion. And so that's sort of how the chapter ends. Thank goodness for Alexander. Wisdom prevails. And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. He's like, apparently some clothes. Okay, guys, go home. Go home. If Artemis is real, we got nothing to worry about. It's interesting to know that it wasn't that many years later that Artemis is no longer around. And that temple is no longer one of the seven wonders of the world. Why? Because it's done. There's one pillar remaining of that temple. Why? Why? What's the whole? What's the whole point of this? Here's the point I want you to see: that Jesus Christ topples all idols. Jesus over all. Jesus topples all the idols of the culture of the day. And Jesus Christ also topples all the idols of our day as well. He ought to topple every idol and every human heart of, of, of every believer in, in our culture. So he ought to be topping, toppling the idols of our culture as we proclaim the name of Jesus. That's the power of the God that we serve. I want to tell you this. Our culture is not much different than the Ephesian culture. Our culture is not that much different. You look around today and whoa, what are people running after? 
everything but God. What is running after everything but God? It's, those are idols that creep into people's lives. They creep into our lives as believers. I read this text here and I see this. I see this. The, the commotion that happened in Ephesus over Jesus ought to be some of the same commotion that's going on in our own souls over the idols that creep into our lives. Look at me like, wow, like, I don't have any idols. This is for everybody else. No, the, the idols that creep, let's be honest, I live in this world too, that, that creep into our lives, that, that threaten to take the place of God on the throne in our hearts and in our minds. The pastor, I don't walk around with little statues, and I don't have a little statue in my house or my car. This is what Tim Keller describes as an idol. An idol is this, is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God does, anything you seek to give what only God can give, any idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I feel like my life has meaning. If I have this, then I'll know I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. An idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Here's the reality. Where Jesus is, he topples everything else. He crushes all the idols in our hearts. We don't have to carry on a little statue to, to, to have an idol in our heart. Think about some of the things that we're tempted to put in a higher place than God in our lives. You know what Jesus wants? He wants to topple those things today. He wants to show you that he is more powerful than those things today. Some of the things that, that I came up with from my own heart and probably yours and, and from years of, of walking with people through life. You know, consider some of these things that, that we are tempted to put as higher than Jesus in our lives. Family. Good things. But take the place of Jesus. Family. And Friends. And success. And money. If Artemis was the cult of that day, that is the cult of our day, money. Not that money's bad, but the love of money and putting it over Jesus. Comfort. I follow Jesus as long as I'm comfortable. My comfort comes first. Approval. Busyness. I love Jesus. I don't have time for him. Really? Pleasure. Ultimately, me. I come before Jesus. What makes me happy, what I want to do, and well, beauty. Once I get myself into shape, everything's going to fall into place. Reputation. Possessions. Every Saturday, i got to shine my car and, and shine my car more than even going to church. I'm more worried about that than going to church on Sunday. And, and i got to watch my sports team. And i I got to look at all the things that we hold so close. Any of these competing for number one in your heart today? Here's what the Holy Spirit's presence is doing right now in your heart if you're in tune with God right now. He's stirring your heart to topple all those idols that are fighting him for the supremacy on the throne of your life. And he's telling you, topple them, get rid of them, denounce them, turn them aside, and put your whole hope and your whole life and your whole being in Jesus Christ. That's the only place that you're going to find security and the fulfillment and the joy you're looking for is in Jesus Christ. Your joy is not found in anything but Jesus. Your fulfillment is not found in anything but Jesus today. Jesus over all, let me ask you, is Jesus truly over all of your life? 
You like the Ephesians, buy into this, I want Jesus, but I want and, 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 and. As long as Jesus is on the radar, it's good. It's not good. God hates idolatry. Why? Why? Because it takes our heart off of the one thing we're created for, worshiping him and loving him. It's actually a diss against his nature. You're not good enough, God. You're not good enough, God. Something else is going to... Pray that the Holy Spirit's causing a commotion in your heart today if... If you have an idol that's creeping in and sitting on the throne that God deserves. Here's the second thing I think we read in this text, this last part here. Jesus calls our faith to mess with the idols of our culture. Jesus calls our faith to mess with the idols of our culture. One commentator says this, if our Christianity is not affecting the economy of our world, we don't have much Christianity at all. If our Christianity is not affecting the economy of our world, we don't have much Christianity at all. Let me put it to you this way. If the world's looking at us, and we're this, if they're not seeing in us because of our love for Jesus, they're not seeing the futility of their own idols because they see in us an all-consuming love for Jesus and truly, Jesus truly is everything that we could want or long for, then they're probably we're, not, we're not probably not living with Jesus on the throne of our hearts. Our love for Jesus should cause other people to see how empty and how void their idols really are. Man, I'm holding on to all this stuff and I'm trying to do all these things, but look at them. They have something that I want and I need. I can't find that. That's what uh, Our love for Jesus should be messing with everybody else's idols as we put our eyes on the supremacy of our God. And our message to others also ought to be revealing the exclusivity of Jesus and calling others to lay down their idols. Our message that we present the full gospel is one of exclusivity. Somehow we've gotten our culture like, yeah, come to Jesus. You don't have to change a thing. You can keep all the idols in your life. Just come to Jesus. Our message is, no, come to Jesus. Get rid of all those idols. God frees you from those idols of bondage that ultimately don't give you any satisfaction. They're empty. They're meaningless. They're not going to give you what you're longing for in life. They're definitely not going to get you into the next life. Our message must also contain this exclusive Jesus. Idols gone. Jesus is it. Anything other than that, you know what we're doing? We're preaching a watered down, trying to entice people to come to a Jesus that doesn't really exist. Giving people a false assurance. They're following Jesus and probably they're not. The good news of the gospel is this, that, that, that Jesus is our all-consuming, all-satisfying reality. A relationship with Jesus is everything we long for and want in this life. Our message is the same as Paul's, really. It's Jesus overall. It's Jesus over all. He's over all religious rituals and rites. He's over all powers. He's over all idols. This is what we live and what we preach as believers. This is what our mission is. It begs the question this morning, is Jesus your all today? No, really, is Jesus your all today? Is Jesus really, it's one thing to preach it, it's one thing to hear, but heart check now, is Jesus really over all in my life today? But honestly, some of you need to get on your knees and repent from thinking that your life is, is good because of your religious rituals. You're doing all the right religious things, but you know in your heart Jesus isn't overall. You need to return from that and turn to Jesus. Some of you are dabbling in the world, and I don't doubt there's people here that are dabbling in all these things of the world, and the, the occult is in your life. This is a great time to repent of that and get rid of that and come to Jesus wholeheartedly. Nothing else, nothing more. Jesus Christ. 
Some of you have been walking for a long time thinking that as long as you have Jesus somewhere in the equation, all these idols can be prominent. As long as Jesus is somewhere tucked under a kidney somewhere, it's all good. Done. Over. Finished. Repentance. It's Jesus over all. This is what God desires for our lives and what God demands from our lives. Because he knows it's only until our life is in him that we actually find the life he created us for. This is what it means to be on mission. Jesus over all. Let me pray that this would sink deep into our heads and our hearts that would change the way that we live this coming week. Father, I thank you for the power of the word of God. Father, I thank you this morning that we can come into your house and we can just study your word as is, not trying to make it seem anything different than it is and make it something that it's not. We just look at the pure reality of your word to us. God, I pray that your word will penetrate our hearts today, that not one heart will leave here without Jesus on the throne of their life. Father, I pray for those who are putting all their stock in religious rituals and, and, and all the things they've done in the past, all the things they're going to do. God, would you help them encounter Jesus and see there's no hope apart from Jesus today. For the first time, would even people here turn their life to Jesus Christ today, away from all the trappings of religion into a relationship with the one God of the universe. Father, I pray for those who have been dabbling in the occult. I don't doubt this is true. Thinking there's nothing, it's just a little game. God, it's fire that is going to burn and burn forever. Father, you help us see the, the full power of our God, the full authority of our God. And God, would you help us renounce anything in our lives and our homes that is not rooted in you? Give us your strength, God, to live every day for your glory. Help us, Lord, be faithful in this world full of idols and, and, and the enemy is prince of the world right now. You tell us that in, in 1 John. God, help us be men and women who, who live for you and live on mission for you. God, we can't do this on our own. Help us be faithful, Lord. Oh, we're so weak. We're so prone to temptation. We're so quick to forget, Lord. We're like sheep. And God, do we ever need a shepherd? Remind us today, God, that we can't do this on our own. We need to daily fall before you and, and again ask you to live within us and to give us the strength and the courage to live out the calling of Jesus Christ. And stir again, asking you to stir again in us a love for Jesus that is second to Nothing else. Help us, Lord, to keep pursuing you. Not willing to look back. And willing to do whatever it takes to help other people know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Even if it means I'm uncomfortable. Even if it means life's a little harder for me in this life. Keeping our eyes on the final prize of eternity with you. Help us, Lord, in these things. God, I pray you take this message and apply it to individual hearts as you see fit. But God, please, please let this happen. Please not one person leave here unaffected by the word of God today. In Jesus' name.